Good morning. Why don't we pray? Why don't we start with prayer? Father in heaven, we come before you. We are in need of your help by your spirit to help us to understand your scriptures. I pray, Father, that you would use this time. Uh, would you reveal Christ to us and what he has called us to do? We pray that your spirit would be with us. Help us to understand. Help me to preach. Father, we know we can do, apart from you, we can do nothing. Your son says, apart from me, you can, we can do nothing. And so we desire to abide with Christ even as we hear your word. Help us to hear your word, God, this morning. God, I pray you would um, work in the hearts of those who are seeking your face. We pray that you would uh, melt hearts to confess you in the waters of baptism. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 10? Acts chapter 10. We're going to take a break from Ephesians. Is this better, Jamie? Up here or back? I'm here. Good here. All right. Acts chapter 10. Um, we're going to go through verses 44 to 48. Uh, it's kind of a, ver uh, a variation of a sermon I preached before. But I love baptisms. I love them. It's one of the highlights of a local church. Uh, and yet I think baptisms are um, one of the most under misunderstood doctrines that the church teaches. I think people misunderstand what it means. Uh, some groups teach that baptism saves you. Others teach that the waters themselves cleanse you from sin. More specifically, the question is, that is most pressing is who should be baptized. The Bible defines who should be baptized. Who are the folks who should come before the church and claim Jesus in the waters? What is baptism? And so for the answer, we turn to the book of Acts, and that's in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. We know the story. Peter is at the Tanner's house, and he is staying there, and Cornelius uh, gets a vision of an angel and tells him to go and get Peter. And Peter, without any misgivings, comes. And he goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, someone he thought could never, ever be saved. And because of the vision that Peter received, which is the great sheet coming down to take the unclean things and no longer call them unclean, but to receive them, he sees that as symbolism now that he should receive the Gentiles if they truly come to know and come to repentance in Jesus Christ. And so Peter comes to the house of Cornelius here and he preaches, right? And in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Christ desires 
that you would confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord through baptism. Christ desires that you would confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord through baptism. And I use the word very carefully, through, because there is no none of these modern techniques of how do you own Christ. If I have definitely been saved and have, if I've come to Christ and he has saved me of my sins, the Bible doesn't say for you to raise your hand. The Bible doesn't say for you to fill out a card. And that would be the closure, and that would be how you confess that you are a Christian. The Bible says that part of your confession, part of your confession as you verbalize it, is that you step in the waters of baptism. And that's the way Christ himself has designed it. Now, admittedly, the purpose of this text is for the hesitant Jewish believers to accept Gentile believers into the church. But consequently, this text demonstrates, this text demonstrates and delineates those who should be baptized. Before you get baptized, and since we are talking about our baptism on September 25th, and the reason why we want to teach on it is because we don't want people to go through this this uh, ordinance of baptism without understanding what God has to say about it. If you don't understand, uh, sadly, if you don't even believe in Christ and you get baptized, all you're doing is getting wet. And yet Christ calls us as a testimony to the world, to the church, to one another, that if we are saved, we need to confess Christ in the waters of baptism. What is baptism? Who does God say to baptize? Should we baptize dead people, like the Mormons say? Should we baptize folks who don't believe, hoping they would believe in the future? Should we baptize babies? Should we baptize believers only? The text will tell us. Now, during the time of the book of Acts, God was doing something quite astonishing and dramatic. Gentiles, non-Jewish unbelievers. Oh, sorry, man. I think I hit my music there. Non-Jewish. I better turn that off. There, turned it off. During the time of the book of Acts, God was doing something quite astonishing. Gentiles, non-Jewish unbelievers were not God's covenant people. The Jews could not believe that God would save Gentiles, but God was about to shatter their conception of him and his love to the nations. If we recall in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you could repeat it with me, what does it say? You shall receive what? Power, where? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, where? Both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So if you were to look at the book of Acts, and you were to, if, and you were to read it, how it was uh, designed, you will start to see that the whole book of Acts is an unveiling of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It is actually God, by the Holy Spirit, using his men and women to testify of him. And it is be them being witnesses, God's chosen instruments, them being witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria. These witnesses will speak of Christ's salvation to the remotest part of the earth. God puts on full display his passion to glorify his son by sending his witnesses further and further away so that all corners of the earth will know of his son. 
Now, this is Peter's story. Peter is invited by Cornelius, a Gentile commander of the Roman army, to come to his house. And Peter's story answers exactly who should confess Jesus as the Savior through baptism. Should you be baptized? God says only those who can answer yes to following three crucial questions, to the following three crucial questions, should be baptized. First question, first question. Are you saved? Verses 44 to 46. Are you saved? And God gives us, there are tests of salvation. How do you know you are saved? How do you know you're a Christian? The Bible says that, and the model here is that you're saved first, and then you are baptized. There's no other model. There's no example in the scriptures that says you are baptized first, and then you, you believe. The scriptures say you believe first, and then you're baptized. How do you test if you're saved? Number one, you believe the gospel. And you notice in verses 44 to 46, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, and then he moves on, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. What's the first test of salvation? The very first test of salvation in the text is you believe the gospel. You believe the gospel. And when I say believe, the word therefore belief in the, in the Greek not only means to uh, have an intellectual ascent, but it means to trust in it. You trust in the gospel. You place your faith in the gospel. He says, while speaking these words, while listening to this message, this is an objective external evidence. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, and if I have faith in him, I am saved. God's appointed spokesperson, Peter, was called to go to the house of the Roman commander by the name of Cornelius, we know. Peter would never normally associate with a non-Jew, let alone stay at his house, let alone eat his food. And God wanted Peter to preach the gospel to Cornelius and told Peter through a dream to accept, accept that invitation. Now notice he says, still speaking these words. And then he says, message. What was Peter saying? What was the message? And it's very clear here. Okay? Those who are saved and those who are thinking about being baptized, you have to be very clear on this. Okay? You have to be very clear what the gospel is. What are you being baptized into? First, in Acts chapter 38, uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 38 to 43, these are simply the message that Peter himself was talking about previously. Notice in verses, uh, verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Number one, you, part of the message is Jesus' position, his anointing, his power, his goodness. All that means is you believe the person of Jesus Christ. You believe in his high position. You believe that he was called to come and preach the gospel. Secondly, in verse 38, it says, how God anointed him. You believe that Jesus is intimate. You believe in Jesus' intimate relationship to the Father. Verse 38. I can tell you these other verses, and you can jot this down if you're following along. Matthew 28, we know that Jesus says what? Uh, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If you remember in Acts chapter 28, Jesus says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
there is a singular name. He doesn't say names of the Father, names of the Son, names of the Holy Spirit. He says there is one name, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all share that same name. And what does name mean? It means it is his, what he is known for. It is his glory. It is re his reputation. The, the triune Godhead says to be baptized in the one name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this is Jesus' intimate relationship with the Father. We know this as well. John, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's John chapter 17. What else about this message in verse 39? Verse 39, we are witnesses of the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. What is crucial to the message of the gospel? That they put him to death by hanging on a cross. Jesus' death by the cross. So if you're unclear about that, uh, what Jesus' death means or that he actually died, this is an indication that probably you should wait. You should refrain from baptism. Verse 40, what else is this message? It says that God raised him on the third day and granted that he become visible. That is the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 41, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him, he arose from the dead. This is Jesus' appearances after resurrection. Verse 41, notice verse 42. He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. This is Jesus' mission and judgment. And verse 43, of him, all the witnesses, and this is the sweet part, brothers and sisters. Here's the sweetness, okay? Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through him and through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Number one, that Jesus is prophesied about in the scriptures. But secondly, notice he says here, those who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins. In other words, the person, the work, the message of Jesus. Simply put, this is the gospel known as the good news. Man is in rebellion against God. God sent his son Jesus fully equal with the father. In the form of man. Jesus' perfect life and death on the cross paid for your just penalty of your sin. If you trust in Jesus and his sacrifice alone for forgiveness, you will be saved. Now, how do you apply this? If you doubt Jesus' position, don't get baptized. Okay? If you doubt that Jesus is co-equal with the Father, fully man and fully God, don't get baptized. If you doubt his death on the cross or its significance as a substitutionary atonement for sin, don't get baptized. If you don't believe in his resurrection and that hundreds of people saw him resurrected, don't get baptized. If you don't believe in Jesus' mission to save men and mankind is condemned apart from his person and work, don't get baptized. If you don't believe that the scriptures are all about Jesus, not religion. Don't get baptized. If you don't believe that only through Christ you can find forgiveness, by all means, do not get baptized. It's a mockery. 
you're just getting wet. This is an objective external evidence. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe? Secondly, secondly, another test of salvation is you've been born again. This is subjective, whereas the first one is objective. It is outside of you, okay? There are facts about Christ, facts about his atonement, facts about who he is that you receive and believe. This is a subjective internal evidence. You've been born again. In verses 44, it says here, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. Now, this is how everyone becomes a Christian. It may not be in the same culture or language, but it's exactly the same everywhere for every Christian. The gospel of Christ is proclaimed by reading in scripture or preaching or sharing with a friend or watching or hearing something about God's word. And in a moment, the Holy Spirit causes you to be reborn so that you believe the message you are being exposed to. It is not simply a reception of facts. Okay, folks? It is not simply a reception of data or things that you agree with. Yes, I ascend to it. It is a rebirth. It is a new creation. When God steps in your life, the things that you hate, now you love. And the things that you love, now you hate. You hated you loved your sin and you hated Christ and now you hate your sin and now you love Christ. And what causes that is that there is a new life in you. The Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear. He gives you eyes to see. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5, it's described as this washing, as this work of the Holy Spirit. He says there he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus says this in John chapter 3. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel what I said. You must be born again. The Spirit blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So everyone who is born of the Spirit. My friends, when this is what I remember this distinctly. I knew the facts of Christ. My family, my friends told me. I was at Community Bible Church in Vallejo. I was hearing the gospel for over three months. I was meeting with a guy, and I still thought, I thought I was saved. But I did not bow the knee to Christ. My life wasn't new. I was living two lives. I was still going to church, and I was still partying at the same time. Friday, Friday I would go party, and then Sunday I'd go to church thinking I was fine. And what God did in, in me is he impressed upon me the truth of what was being preached. He impressed upon me the lives of the local church. He impressed upon me what God was doing in their lives and how it wasn't happening in my life because I was not willing to bow the knee. 
I didn't bow the knee. I didn't want Christ to be over my life. And when he is not over your life, you have not received regeneration. You have not received a new life. Why? Because when you receive the new life, you have new desires. You have a new hope. You have a new want. You have a new uh, thirsting after his word and after his scriptures and after the local church. That's what God does. And I remember after a night of sin, I came home and it was clear as day. I remember God was speaking to me, not in an audible voice, but it was simply just knowing that the truth was being taught. I was terrified by Matthew 7, where, where uh, Steve, back home, he was preaching, uh, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? There are folks who will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this? And Jesus said to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. And I was terrified because that was me. I knew all about Christ. I knew all about that he died on the cross. Died on a cross. I knew all about what it means to be a Christian. And I even knew what baptism meant but I didn't receive regeneration. The Spirit didn't work in my life. And until that new life occurs, until that new life occurs, you're not saved. This cannot be cajoled. It cannot be manufactured. There's, there are sometimes folks who would think you could control this. You can't control this. You preach, you pray, you ask God to bless, but God does the work. Sure, you could fill a church, you could fill a building with a lot of people. All you got to tell them is what kind of cheeseburgers you're going to serve. All you got to tell them, you could use any gimmick and fill a building, but that does not bring salvation. The Spirit does. And your, and your parents, if they're saved, they know this. They could preach and tell you the truth, but you can't be saved unless God himself moves on your heart. Has this happened to you? Have you had newness in your life? Are there new desires now? If this has not occurred, don't get baptized. I know you're probably thinking, Angelo, I thought this was a sermon so people would be baptized. Right? Yes, Christ wants you to be baptized. But not wrongly, not hypocritically, not knowing the truth. He wants you to be baptized knowing the clear gospel and what is the basis of salvation. He wants those who are reborn to own him in the waters. Thirdly, here's another proof. You have a Godward life. This is another subjective internal uh, evidence. And this would be called sanctification. So the first one would be faith. The second one would be uh, regeneration. The third one, you have a Godward life, would be sanctification. Sanctification. Notice in verses 44 to 46 it says all the circumcised believers who came with peter were amazed because the gift of the holy spirit has been poured out of the gentiles verse 46 uh, 45 and 46 for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting god 
Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water. Now, first, let's talk about this. They were speaking with tongues. Tongues, as defined in Acts chapter 2, is not an unintelligible utterance. Tongues is not a heavenly language. Tongues is, in Acts chapter 2, a foreign language that you were not able to speak before. In Acts chapter 2, all of a sudden they're able to speak different languages for the propagation of the gospel. This is a transitional phase. This was so that the disciples would know that the Gentiles can be saved and should be included in the church. This was evidence for Peter, because Peter still couldn't believe it. Peter still couldn't believe that Gentiles could be saved. And God accompanied their salvation in this transitional phase so that they would believe, oh, yes, they are saved. The gift disappears in later books. In fact, uh, uh, Paul doesn't tell Timothy to speak in tongues later on. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it states that tongues will cease. It is the initial authenticating sign which God transitioned out of the church. So that's what tongues are. We can have a discussion about that a little bit later. But notice what, what else happened. So there's that initial evidence, supernatural initial evidence. It was given there for the disciples and those who came with Peter so that they can authenticate that Gentiles actually get saved. But secondly, notice they're exalting God, verse 46. Exalt means to make large, to magnify, to glorify, to praise, to make big, to make, make known. It's a response of what God has done. It is making much of God for what he has done through Christ and the resulting work of saving you. And this is why Paul erupts in praise. You see that a lot. And this is why the woman at the well ran excitedly. When she got saved, she ran to tell others, this man told me what I did in my past. He knows my dirty past. And he accepts me anyways. I've got to do something. And this is what happens to the Christian. They get saved and they all of a sudden, they have to tell of the Savior. See, the, the kind of salvation that is marketed by American evangel evangelicalism now is this person who maybe went to a service and raised their hand and never follows after Christ, never exalts him, never seeks after his spirit, never seeks after his scripture, never joins a local church. That is not in scripture. God calls us when we are saved because of the new life in us, we are changed and we have to exalt God. Our lives are not, we now know we are not our own. We don't own ourselves. I have to exalt Him. So, and this is why we, we want to take this very seriously. It's a very solemn thing. Baptism is. So are you saved? Are you saved? Secondly, are you clear? Are you clear? And what I mean by clear is, are you clear on what baptism is? Okay. Now we're going to work with the definition. Okay. Are you clear on what baptiz baptism is? Verse 47, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. 
particularly do you understand what baptism is? What is it? Let's look at the qualities and then define it from the text. Peter saw to his astonishment the Gentile or the non-Jewish believers met the preliminary requirement of being saved. He knew that Christ wanted them to be baptized. But what is baptism? There are four qualities of baptism. First, baptism is indiscriminate. Okay? Baptism is indiscriminate. Notice in verse 48a. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 47, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. Now, Peter is confronted with, with all of these years of prejudice and racism in his own life. Okay? He was raised to be separate from Gentiles. He was raised to think that they were, there was no hope for them. And now God is doing the exact opposite. And now he is confronted with his own racism, his own prejudices. Um, and Peter is beside himself. And now Peter has no argument. He says, surely no one can refuse. He just saw non-Jews get saved, praising God. And God will often astonish you with whom he saves. He often picks the ones that you don't think would ever be saved. He often picks the foul ones. You know, I just stopped boxing God in. Stop boxing him in. He saves who he wants. Amen. And so when they come into our family, it's just like your normal blood family. You don't get to pick them. They're just your family, right? We're family. You don't get to pick. Okay. You don't get to pick. They're your family. Black, white, Filipino, Mexican, Burmese, Chinese, Indian, Pakistani. Rich, poor, high cultured, low cultured, hip hop culture, country club culture, surf culture, PhD, college educated, street educated you can't stop whom he decides to save and if he is truly saved they must all be baptized to the praise of god the father son and spirit amen, amen. i remember i was reminded of this sharply i was in i think i told the story before i was in college and i asked i I was fasting and I was praying. I said, God, use me. I want, I want to be used in this campus. I went to a pagan campus, UC Santa Barbara, right? Uh, and I said, God, use me. Use me. And I met these two roommates. And uh, one roommate, he kept asking about Jesus and about what we believed. And so I really, and he always was, you know, dressed nicely. And he had a nice prep shirt. And he was always, seemed like a decent fellow. And I always thought, oh, this guy, for sure. He looks like a Christian. He looks like he'll get saved, right? And I always thought, and I always shared the gospel. But you know what? He just kept having questions and questions. Never tied the two together. Never had faith in Christ. Although I explained it over and over again. There was never regeneration. He always had doubts. He never wanted to turn to Christ. And finally, he never wanted to submit to the authority of Christ. His roommate was exact opposite. Braided hair, 
holes in his jeans, T-shirt with spray paint all over because at nighttime when no one was looking, he would spray paint our campus and graffiti it. Right. His his uh, room was filled with all these hip hop CDs that he stole. Because remember we used to use CDs back in the day, right? And I shared the gospel with him once, and I just kind of gave up on him because I said, man, this guy's gone. And in my mind, okay, and to my shame, I thought the other guy looked more ripe for salvation. But it was this guy with the dreads. And I remember my sophomore year, he came and I said, I didn't even know how to share the gospel. You ever been there? You ever been there? You don't even know how to share the gospel. I didn't even know how to share the gospel. I just got saved for about a year. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. So, so he was talking and I just said, how's your relationship with God? That's how I shared. And he sat there, slumped on the wall, and he just sank, actually on the floor. And we talked for two hours. And he says, I don't have one. I've been running from him. And then, as the weeks go by, he gets saved. And then I start discipling this guy. He starts to grow in Christ. And nobody tells him, but he takes all those CDs. And he knows he could full well go to jail, right? He takes all those CDs, goes back to the record store. And he hands it to them and he says, I've stolen all of these from you. And he says, I'm willing to pay for it, but I want you to know here they are. You can do with me what you want. You see what happens? You can't stop that. You can't fabricate that. That is a work of the Spirit. And it changed him. He's a pastor now. He planted a church up in, um, I don't know, Garden Grove or something like that, up in there. Good buddy of mine, and he uh, loves the Lord. But you can't, the one, the one point I want to uh, say to you is, you can't tell who's going to be, sa- be saved. It is indiscriminate. God picks who he wants to pick because he's God. Duh. Amen. And conversely, when folks, uh, when when folks will doubt, or when when you when you are standing there, right, you know that God saved you, and it doesn't matter where you came from. If you came from a broken home or a whole home, it doesn't matter if you came from a poor family or a rich family. I know I'm saved. Why? Because Christ showed his kindness to me and I believe in him and the spirit regenerated me. Amen. And so there are no second, there are no first tier Christians, second tier Christians. You understand? We are all children. We have one father. Baptism, secondly, is a picture. Notice in verse 48. Verse 48. Who can refuse the water? Now, baptism, and he's talking about literal water, okay? Water doesn't save you, 
Okay. Oceanside water, Vista water, Carlsbad water is all hard water. It won't save you. You got it. Uh, you can jot this down and you can study this later. First Peter chapter three, verse 21. It says corresponding to that baptism now saves you, but he qualifies it. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. He says not the physical act of getting dunked. Not the physical act, but appeal to trust in Christ. Right? What is the picture? It is by immersion. Baptism means in its lexical form, it means to immerse. It means to dip. All examples in the scripture are by immersion. Jesus was in the Jordan. The Ethiopian was most likely in a river. It best pictures the imagery of what happened in the believer's life. He came from death to life. Now, let me read Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so what is he saying? Baptism symbolizes above all things this death and this life. You are buried with Christ. You are raised with Christ. And as you go down in the waters, your old life is symbolized as having died. You are done. It's no longer the old Angelo, but it is now the new Angelo. The ritual itself doesn't make that happen, but the ritual is an outward expression of what has already occurred in my life. Baptism, thirdly, is exclusive. Baptism is exclusive. It says, for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. I know you may say, well, didn't you just say baptism is indiscriminate? I said, that's right, in regards to background. Okay, Baptism is indiscriminate in regards to background. Anyone from any culture, race, economic, or social background can be baptized. Baptism is very exclusive to those who have been born again. Only those who have been born again and have received the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible says, who are these? Now, what did Peter say? Peter stated that those who receive the Holy Spirit should be baptized. His requirement is those who are regenerate. He doesn't say bring relatives who did not hear the gospel. You see what's not in the text. He did not say baptize your dead relatives like what the Mormons would say. Okay. He didn't say, bring your babies and your infants. There is no indication of that whatsoever in the text. There is an uh, indication. What's the requirement? Notice he says in the text, here's the requirement. Those who receive the Holy Spirit just as we did. Those who receive the Spirit. If they don't receive the Spirit, they don't display marks of salvation, belief, regeneration, Godward life. Would he have refused the water? Of course he would have refused because they don't have the fruits of salvation. Only believers should be baptized. Fourthly, fourthly, baptism is a reminder. Verse 47, just as we did, can he, right? Notice he says here, no one could refuse the water for those to be baptized who have refused the Holy Spirit. And he ordered to be in the, uh, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? Baptism is, baptism is a reminder. It's a public confession. 
baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, his reputation, all that he is. You publicly own all who Christ is. Born of a virgin, very God, very man, the only sufficient sacrifice for sin, the King of kings, Lord of lords, second person of the Trinity. It is also a picture of inclusion in the church. If you notice in Ephesians 4, and I'll read this for you, okay? There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. In other words, when you get baptized, you're claiming to be part of this universal church. Uh, you're claiming to be part of this universal body called the Church of the Living God. And it's also for shared encouragement. Peter is saying, I remember when we were baptized and owned the same Christ that he or she is doing now. It encourages the church. So definition. Uh, you have a definition there. I'd like to add to it a little bit, okay? If you have your pens there. Baptism is the responsibility and privilege. Okay, responsibility. First, I want to say it's a responsibility because it's not an option. God did not say, do you have, if you want to get baptized, you can. If you, you don't have to get baptized, if you're, if you're a believer, Jesus commands you to be baptized. So it's a responsibility and it's a privilege of every Christian to publicly identify Christ as Lord and Savior of his, his or, and her, or her life by water immersion to symbolize their conversion from dead sins to newness of life. And then I would add there, and inclusion into the church universal, okay? And inclusion into the church universal. Baptism also serves as accountability to this new life, and it serves to encourage the church. So to steer clearer of confusion, do you know what baptism is? Do you know what baptism does? Do you know, does baptism save you? Does baptism wash away your sins? Okay, you got to know the answers to that. Thirdly, thirdly, so you have who should be baptized? As Christ would desire for you to be baptized, how do you know if you should be baptized? Number one, are you saved? Number two, are you clear? Are you clear with what baptism is? And number three, are you willing? Are you willing? Verse 48 and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Willing to do what? To be baptized. So number one, are you willing to obey Jesus? Notice he says he ordered them, verse 48. The word therefore ordered means to command, to order, a valid right to command. Make no mistake, while baptism is a privilege, it is an order. Peter was only following the authority of Jesus Christ. You remember Matthew 28, he says, all what authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. That's what Jesus is saying. And he tells his disciples to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them. Okay? We have no option as a church. Well, I want to do it a different way. I want them to just kind of, you know, if they don't want to get wet, it's okay because, you know, that kind of, it's kind of embarrassing to get in front of people so they could just kind of quietly keep their faith to themselves. God does not call us to do that. Jesus calls you to publicly own him. 
Then it says to own Jesus, to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some excuses of disobedient Christians. Okay? If you're truly a Christian, here's some excuses. I'm too shy. Don't want to get in front of people. Here's another one. I'm too old. All these young people are getting baptized. I'm too old. Here's another excuse. I'm ashamed. Okay, now let me get this straight. Okay, now let's think about this, okay? Jesus was publicly humiliated, hung on a cross, naked, and beaten for crimes he did not do, and you won't own him. Come with me to Matthew chapter 10. Look at this text. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 32. Verse 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Okay, I see that. Look at 33. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Okay. And this is not simply an instance of denial. This is a lifetime of denial. If you won't publicly own him, there is something bigger in your heart that needs to happen, that needs to change. And I fear you're in danger if you've been holding off baptism for year after year after year after year. Christ would say, those who own me, those who confess me, I will confess before the Father. So there are three categories of folks here. There's the saved and the baptized. Glorify and rejoice with brothers and sisters if you're saved and baptized. There's the saved and not baptized. If you're saved and not baptized, I want to encourage you, get in the waters. Own them. If not this round, catch the next round. Get baptized. Join in this church community. Become a member and serve here. If you're not saved, if you're not saved, come to Christ. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll wash you clean. Don't resist his love. He is not a curse word. He is not what the magazines make him out to be. He is Lord of the universe, the only way to God. Trust solely in him and what he has done. Your sins are not paid for unless you trust in Christ. Believe first, then get baptized. Should you be baptized? Can you answer these three questions with a resounding yes? Are you saved? Are you clear? And are you willing? Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and we thank you for the privilege that you've called us to make disciples and to baptize them. And so we pray, Father, Lord, that you would bring forth fruit, that there will be Christians who would own you. Father, I also pray, Lord, that you would bring us 
more souls that we could share the gospel and disciple and love, that they would join this community of faith for your glory. We pray, Father, that uh, you would help us to reach, help us to love our neighbors, help us to make disciples. Thank you for helping us to hear your word, work in our hearts, to own you. In Jesus' name, amen.